It's Mailbag Monday. Which top outfield prospects are likely to debut in 2024? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So as we do every single Monday, this is a mailbag episode full of questions that came to us from listeners of the show. As always, if you have a question for our mailbag, tons of ways to get them to us. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, shows on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can email us. We have a subtext. We have a discord. It's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. Uh, Starting the show off today, really interesting question that we got from a new member of our discord. But we were asked about the top outfield prospects that are most likely to debut to join their big league clubs in 2024. So I went out and pulled a couple names. Uh, Two of them are existing prospects. Two of them are guys that were drafted last year. And you can probably guess who it is if you think hard enough about it. But the number one answer for me for this is Milwaukee Brewers outfielder Jackson Churio. Uh, One of the top prospects in all of baseball. Generally, the consensus number two behind Jackson Holiday, And what he did last year, 128 games in the minors, 120 of them in double A. So almost entirely with Biloxi. 283, 338, 467. 22 home runs, 51 extra base hits, 43 walks to 104 strikeouts, and 44 of 53 on stolen bases. Uh, It is really good production, and then obviously doubly so when you turn around and you look at the age-to-level comparison and look at the fact that he was 19 years old for a lot of that time in AA. And he got a brief promotion at the very end of the year up from AA to AAA, where again, he played six games, so one week worth of competition, but he absolutely destroyed in the second half of the year, again, when you got rid of those tacky baseballs in the Southern League. If you isolate from when the ball changed to the end of his time in AA, which was September 16th, after Biloxi dropped the final series of the year to Montgomery, he was sent up to AAA Nashville. 323, 380, 544 in those 51 games. 11 home runs, 23 extra base hits. And you can see the absolute promise and potential of a Jackson Churio. And you can see, yes, he's a a top-tier prospect. He's a five-tool talent. And this is a really interesting conversation for Milwaukee because they have a lot of different options in the outfield. Obviously, Christian Yelich, long-term deal, playing left field. You've also got Sal Frelick, who you called up last year, playing center field for you. I believe Tyrone Taylor still has plenty of team control, playing right. And then you have on your bench, you have a Blake Perkins. You have a Joey Weimer. I think you'll still have Jesse Winker. 
you have a Garrett Mitchell. There's so many guys that can play center field for you. But here's the thing. A player with the skill level of a Jackson Churio, with a, a potential to be a rookie of the year, and some people say some a guy who can grow into challenging for MVPs. Like that is the type of skill and impressive performances that folks are expecting from Jackson Churio. A guy like that, you find a place for him. And when you look at what's going to happen with this Brewers team, you've lost Brandon Woodruff for the entire season next season, his last season before free agency. You've still got Corbin Burns there for at least one more season. Look at your rotation, Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley. You've got Adrian Hauser, things like that. But I expect the Brewers to be out and looking for some sort of pitching help, right? You may see something, you may see Robert Gasser, Jacob Mazurowski eventually making their way up, but I absolutely see Milwaukee being in the business of looking for starting pitching help, and I think they can dip into that well of outfield prospects to do it. Jackson Churio is not going to get moved. Do not, I am not saying he is getting traded. He is not getting traded, but... I can see them moving a different outfielder or maybe even possibly more than one. And to me, Garrett Mitchell feels like a guy that he looked pretty good when he was up. He suffered an injury. He missed most of the year. And so he hasn't really had a chance to lose the prospect shine that he had built during his brief appearance in the majors. He feels like a candidate to get moved to give you room to play Jackson Churio every day. I don't know if it'll be on opening day. It probably won't, given his age, but I think it's entirely a possibility. Two other guys that I don't necessarily think it'll be opening day, but I do expect to see him in 2024, is Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford. Both drafted in the top five picks last year. Cruz goes to Washington, Langford goes to Texas. But both of them shot through the minors, stopped at different levels. Cruz stopped in double A. 35 games total in the minors for Dylan Cruz. 292, 377, 467. Five home runs, 14 extra base hits, 14 walks to 38 strikeouts, 410 on stolen bases. Struggled a little bit in double A, but I absolutely think that given the position that Washington's in, they're rebuilding, they're trying to get this team back to contention. It feels like that plus his inherent skill, he's going to be on an accelerated track to the majors. So I'm looking for Dylan Cruz there in Washington before the end of the season. Could be as soon as mid-season, I don't know. Wyatt Langford for the Rangers. There was whispering and talk that they would call him up right before the postseason or in the postseason. That's how good he looked. Ending in AAA, 44 total games, 364, 86, 77, 10 home runs, 29 extra base hits. 36 walks to 34 strikeouts, and 12 of 15 on stolen bases. Absolutely feels like he is your left fielder as soon as next season. Him and Evan Carter with Adolis Garcia, that is a really good left to outfield from a power standpoint, from a production standpoint. Carter gives you good enough defense to make up for what Langford may not have as far as range or defensive ability and left. Really good outfield if that's your outfield, and it could happen as soon as Depending on spring training goes, it could happen as soon as the start of next year. I don't necessarily expect that, but it absolutely could. But a guy that's not really being discussed as a 2024 outfield option that I think probably should 
is Owen Casey of the Chicago Cubs. 120 games in AA this year. And then in the Arizona Fall League right now, on the season with the Smokies, 289, 399, 519, 22 home runs, 55 extra base hits, 76 walks to 164 strikeouts, and 7 of 16 on stolen bases. Preview of later in the week, we're going to have more about the Arizona Fall League tomorrow, our weekly recap, and we'll have more about those Tennessee Smokies on Wednesday when we talk about who won the minor league championships and how is it relevant as far as the prospects and the major league teams. But the thing for Casey, similar to Churio, after they dropped the tacky balls, he absolutely went off. So again, 289, 399, 519 was the slash line for the full season. The back half of the year, the final 53 games from that midpoint in mid-July, I think it's July 14th was the first game without the balls. From there to the end of this regular season, 307, 423, 510, seven home runs, 24 extra base hits. 38 walks to 65 strikeouts, 1 of 4 on stolen bases. The slugging comes down 9 points, but the batting average goes up almost 20. The on-base goes up just over 20, almost 25 points. And the strikeouts come down. I think that's the big thing. He's always going to be strikeout prone. That's going to be an issue that he has. But if you look at the Chicago Cubs depth chart for next year and you look at Outfield options, assuming that Cody Bellinger declines his part of the $25 million mutual option, you've got Pete Crow Armstrong in center field. It feels like they saw probably enough out of him where he's going to be the guy, although he did struggle to hit towards the end of the year, and I've got to go on Locked on Cubs soon and give them some reassurances on that. You've got Seiya Suzuki in right. You've got Ian Happ in left. It absolutely feels like you like a power hitter like Owen Casey could be incredibly useful on this roster. And so another guy, I don't necessarily think it's going to be first thing next year, but I do think because he's getting extra reps in the Arizona Fall League, this is Chicago's attempt to sh- to quicken the development curve and get him ready to be in the majors probably right after wherever the Super 2 deadline falls next year. Be on the lookout for that. Absolutely a guy that I think you could see up sooner rather than later next year, provided he keeps the strikeouts in line to give them a much-needed power bat in the corner outfield. In just a minute, I've got a question about Rangers right-hand pitcher Owen White and why he struggled this year, as well as some of the best ways to use data to identify potential impact prospects. We'll get to that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Game Time. You should not have to worry when you're trying to buy tickets to a big event, whether it's a Taylor Swift concert, whether it's a sporting event, whether it's a postseason games, whatever it might be, because Game Time is the ticketing app that gives you peace of mind with your purchase, and they're obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. They've got tickets on sale right up till the event starts, all the way up to even an hour after the game starts. It is the place to get literal last-minute deals. And they've got the game time guarantee. You'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less than what you paid on, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Now, terms apply, but again, create an account, redeem code Locked on MLB 
for $20 off. Download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Okay, so question that came up was, why did right-hand pitcher Owen White for the Texas Rangers struggle so much in 2023? So, for comparison, he was essentially seen as the number one pitching prospect in Texas's system entering this season. Last year, and he came off an amazing stint in the Arizona Fall League. Pretty sure he won the Pitcher of the Year award in the AFL. Last year, between high A and double A, 9-2, again, we know records don't matter, but it's just relevant to point out. 9-2, ERA in 80 innings, 104 strikeouts, so 11.7 per 9, to 23 walks, 2.6 per 9, and 8 home runs allowed, which is 0.9 per nine innings. I've been asked to include that because it's relevant context. It helps on the math. So this year, Owen White split between double A and triple A and two appearances in the majors, which were four innings. It was not great. Five earned runs, not even including that just in the minors this year between double A and triple A four and five with a four two two ERA in 108 and two thirds innings with 80 strikeouts. So 6.6 per nine, uh, 255 walks, 4.6 per nine, and 15 home runs, so 1.2 home runs per nine innings. So uh, to recap, his strikeouts per nine innings went down by five from 11.7 to 6.6. His walks almost doubled from 2.6 per nine to 4.6 per nine, and his home runs went up from 0.9 per nine innings to 1.2 per nine innings. And looking at that, it's like, okay, why? And digging into some of the stuff, I, I think there's two main reasons why you saw Owen White struggle. And the first one is bad changes to his fastball. And then two is changes to the pitch mix to minimize effective pitches and add ineffective pitches. The scouting report going into 2023, I went back and pulled a preseason one that, that, that we had. The, the scouting report entering 2023 was Owen White's fastball. The shape wasn't great, right? So it was straight, didn't have a ton of movement, but it had enough induced vertical break on it. And the velocity it sat mid 90s. He could run it up to 98 or so. To go along with it, he had a slider in the mid-80s, really good spin rates, really good chase, like 39% chase. He had a vertical breaking curveball, tons of spin, sat in the high 70s, and then had a changeup that he could throw for strikes, but he didn't use it a ton, and it was probably just fine, really. And then he had a two-seamer in the low 90s, that he wasn't really throwing. And so the two things that I noticed when I dug into the body of work and the numbers for Owen White is one, his velocity seemed to take a hit this year. So again, he averaged 94.9 miles an hour on that four seam fastball last year. So right in the mid nineties. And again, could touch 98 with it this year. He averaged 93.2 miles an hour. So he lost 1.7 miles per hour off of the fastball, which breaking, that's a huge difference for your fastball. And for a pitch that already didn't have great shape, you were really counting on the location and the velocity to carry you on that. And when he lost velocity, 
he also lost the vertical break on it as well. And so the swing and miss on the four-seam fastball for Owen White, it was at 33% in 2022. It was at 17.1% in 2023. So I think that's part of it. The other part is he, according to StatCast, he's added a cutter this year. And he's throwing it more. He's also throwing that four-seamer more. But both of those, he's throwing those more at the expense of his slider. So I told you that slider was a plus pitch, had a 39% swing and miss rate. This year, he threw it 9.3% of the time, which made it his fifth most used pitch. The four-seam fastball was first. He threw a cutter right around 88 miles an hour as his second most used pitch. He threw his sinker third, which was 15.9%, his third most used pitch. And then the curveball was about 9.5, with the slider being 9.3%. And for some reason, he significantly minimized the usage of a really good pitch in his slider, and he added a pitch in the cutter that has pretty decent swing and miss rates, but isn't as good as the slider was. And then you combine that, and it's this is I don't think this is a matter uh, 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 an issue with Statcast misclassifying these. Because the cutters are coming in 88 miles an hour, the slider's coming in 82. So unless the slider is reading as a cutter and he added a sweeper, which I don't have the necessary information to know if he did that or not. That's the only explanation I can think of. But that and the velocity drop is what's causing Owen White to be not nearly as effective as he was. Definitely something where uh, Texas has to figure that out. Because you saw they went out midseason and they traded for Jordan Montgomery. And they traded for Max Scherzer because they need pitchers. And this is a championship team, a championship window. They absolutely need to get more pitching at the major league level. And he would have gotten more run had he been effective at the major league level. Uh, another quick thing. I had a question about what data you can use, the best way to identify uh, quality pro- or impact prospects. And uh, Jeff Ponce from Baseball America put out a piece recently, had a podcast go along with it. I thought he had a really good thing. In the complex or the low minors levels, which a lot of that information is not public. I don't have access to all of those. I have access to some of that, but not all of those levels. Here are the three things that they look for. They look for, for contact rate, they're looking for above 75%. Are you making contact when you swing? It's a good measure of a hit tool, right? Since we don't have a direct way to measure your hit tool, that's as close as we can get. Are you making contact when you swing? As far as uh, power is concerned, they're using exit velocities. And for this, they don't use max. They use average and 90th percentile. We talked about this before. Max can always be influenced by one fluky, really good hit. But 90th percentile is a more accurate picture of your max power. Whereas your average exit velocity is a good measure of the quality of your contact. So they're looking for average exit velocity greater than 86 miles per hour and 90th percentile exit velocity greater than 102 miles per hour. And then when it comes to measuring plate discipline, they're looking for chase rate and they're looking to see is the chase rate below 30% or not. And it honestly feels like these are pretty good metrics to use. If you think about it, this is giving you exactly what you need 
to figure out which minor leaguers have a good combination of power right now, combined with both contactability and plate discipline. Now, obviously, if you are looking at uh, young players, complex level, low minors, you obviously have a hole in there from guys who haven't necessarily developed the power physically. And there's not really a great way to fill that hole, right? Like you can't look at this and automatically, but it gives you a pretty good baseline, right? And looking at some of the guys after the draft that stand out with some of these measurements, you've got Colt Emerson for the Seattle Mariners. We talked about that Modesto Nuts team. We'll talk about them more on Wednesday's show, but fantastic there. Cam Collier of the Reds, top pick in 2022. He's another guy that really stands out on some of those categories. And so really curious to see what comes out of when we dive into the data set that I have access to, filtering for those three different types of measures. We'll see what happens. In just a minute, was asked a question about the best catcher this year, and I've got two answers. In just a minute, was asked a question about the best rookie catchers in MLB this year, and I've got two answers. We'll get to those next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. October baseball is back, and you can make your postseason debut with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Join FanDuel today, and you'll get started with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to create your new account. You can get it on the action from the first pitch until the final out. You can bet on everything, strikeouts, home runs, Who's going to win the game? If you just have a few minutes, you can actually jump in there and predict the next at-bat with a quick bet. So head on over to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn right now. Step up to the plate this postseason with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Okay, so was asked a question about the best rookie catchers this year, and I've got two answers. The reason I have two answers is because I want to separate offense from defense, right? So when you look at the best offensive catchers this year, Yanye Diaz of the Houston Astros had a fantastic season as far as offensive production is concerned. 104 games. Came out to 377 at-bats, so just over half of a typical non-catcher full season uh, because he played 40, he started 42 games at catcher, 60 total, 36 starts at DH, 38 games total at DH, and then seven starts at first base, eight total. 17 17 pinch hit appearances, so I want to give the at-bats to give some clarity there for Yanye Diaz, but 282, 308. 538, 23 home runs, 45 extra base hits, 11 walks to 74 strikeouts, no stolen base attempts. Uh, I picked Yanye Diaz over Francisco Alvarez. Alvarez is the first person that comes to mind for a lot of people on this, but Alvarez played in 123 games, 108 starts behind the plate. 209, 284, 437, 25 home runs. Yes, he had 25 home runs, but he also batted 210. And a, and a big part of that was issues with strikeouts. It's going to Yanye Diaz. I'm really curious to see what they do going into next season because he was good defensively on a lot of stuff. 
except for framing. Like he was 90th percentile in blocks above average, 77th percentile in caught stealing above average, 86th percentile in pop time, but he was like 21st percentile in framing. And so it feels like Martin Maldonado, were, were he to get ready to go ahead and retire and or leave the Astros, you've got some work to do with Yanye Diaz to get to where Dusty Baker is confident playing him behind the plate as the primary guy. And then there's a couple offensive things to be concerned about as well. Swing and miss, 27.6% whiff rate, below average. But chase rate and walk rate were both first percentile in Major League Baseball. Means 99% of guys were better than him. Uh, Walk rate, 2.9%. Chase rate, 44%. Both glaring issues that I make me worry that MLB is going to be able to adjust to him going forward if he is the guy behind the plate. So things you have to work on in the offseason. In the meantime, a lot of this stuff is great. 79th percentile barrel rate, 12.2%. Really good stuff. 76% sweet spot. 65% hard hit rate. He's doing really well. It's just there's comes concerns there with the chase rate and the walk rate as well as the poor framing that he needs to clean up to be the guy when Martin Maldonado leaves and them not have to go out and sign a guy to be a starter or a full-time timeshare with Diaz. Defensively, Patrick Bailey was absolutely phenomenal. And I don't mean phenomenal as in really good for a rookie, really good, period. Patrick Bailey defensively, he struggles with blocking. Let's put that out right now. Negative nine blocks above average. So ninth percentile in that. But pop time, 95th percentile, 1.87 seconds. Caught stealing above average, 98th percentile. Framing, 100th percentile. Patrick Bailey leads the leaderboards in three of the four different catcher categories on Baseball Savant, on StatCast. The fielding run value, the only player in baseball that was worth more outs above average than Patrick Bailey was Royal center fielder Brenton Doyle. Patrick Bailey had an amazing year, period, behind the plate, not just for a rookie. Now, offensively, he struggled. He came out hot. And then he really slowed down in the second half. And a lot of that may have been the physical grind. 97 total games this year. But I'm going to give you the first half stats. And then I'm going to give you the full stat line. So first 40 games for Patrick Bailey. 293, 324, 493. Five home runs, 17 extra base hits, five walks to 40 strikeouts. That's the first 40 games. Batting 293 after the All-Star break. He gets 57 games. He starts 48 of those. His final slash line for the year, 233, 285, 359. Everything dropped significantly because of how poor that second half was. 188, 256, 258. When you're on base and slugging are practically the same number, you did not have a good second half of the year. He finished the year with seven home runs and 26 extra base hits. So in the back half of the season, he hit two home runs and nine extra base hits. Uh, 21 walks to 100 strikeouts, so he struck out 60 times in the back half of the season compared to 40 in the first half. He did steal one base, so that's nice. But 
obviously something where that physical grind of being the guy behind the plate at the major league level is tough for a young player. And Patrick Bailey is a young player. He's 24 years old. He turned 24 during the season. First round pick in 2020 absolutely looks like it was the correct pick. And we're going to talk more about that 2020 draft on Friday. But a really good first season for Patrick Bailey, some offensive things to work on where if you can get those offensive things to be better. And I think a lot of that ends up coming down to his performance on breaking pitches. He really struggled with both sliders and cutters. Did well against curveballs, but struggled with sliders and cutters, as well as struggled with forcing fastballs. If he can fix some of that, you've all of a sudden got a guy who could be a contributor in every possible facet behind the plate. Excited about the future of Patrick Bailey. Fantastic week coming up this week. We've teased a lot of those shows tomorrow. Arizona Fall League recap like we like to do every Tuesday. In the meantime, if you have questions for our Monday mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us, LockedInMovieProspects at gmail.com, or drop your questions in a Locked MLB Prospects Discord. Links in the episode description. Links in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer. Mm-hmm.